past week, uh, appreciate so many of you for the birthday wishes. It's my birthday. Cami, thank you so much for the cake. It was, Cami Carpenter made me a peanut butter, like a Reese's cup layered chocolate peanut butter cake. Oh, guys. <laughs> it, was, it was really good. Anyways, uh, it was on my birthday two years ago today, or two years ago on my birthday, that we sat down with our executive pastor at First Church and said, hey, I think... Uh, I think we're kind of being led on to something that opened up a conversation. Um, and so we were reflecting on, on that, uh, opened up a conversation of transition and um, uh, what it would look like for us to kind of take on some more responsibility and lean into my giftings a little bit more. And the, the thing I kept thinking of was how, uh, in a lot of ways, indistinguishable uh, I am from the person that I showed up here in, in July of, of 22, and how that's like God's grace. That's God's grace that if you, if you knew me then, and you see me now, we're, this is a whole, whole different thing. And that's my prayer for, for me continually, because I want more of that, and that's my prayer for you, that uh, there's no doneness in the spiritual journey. Like, there's no, there's no finish line except for eternity with God forever and ever. There is stuff for the rest of our lives that God is working out, and it's painful. It's pain. It hurts sometimes when God's rooting out sin issues and issues of, of lack of trust in him. Uh, but when I look back at who I was just two years ago, and I look today, I go, oh, God is so merciful and gracious and kind. And so that's my prayer for you guys. I want to uh, bring you up to speed. I know a lot of you have been praying for uh, Lucy Boyden, and um, just uh, not a huge update, but someone asked this morning, I went, oh, it's probably worth worthwhile sharing uh, with everybody. So Lucy, this past week, uh, had a, a seizure, and Skylar and Lindsay, obviously, you don't expect things like that, um, just kind of came out of nowhere. And so spent a few days in the hospital getting some tests and, and stuff of that nature, um, and as I spoke with Lucy, Jordan went over and visited. Um, and again, one of those scary, and Lucy was just having a lot of anxiety about all the pokes and prods and stuff, which obviously. Um, so did some uh, uh, tests, some scans, all sorts of that stuff. And uh, as I talked to Lindsay this morning, I was like, what's our, what's our prayer? Like, what are we seeking the face of the Lord for? And she's like, honestly, we have more questions than answers right now. Um, and we don't, there's no distinguishable reason that it happened. And so our prayer is just that God will be gracious and that it won't happen again and we'll get some clear answers. So I'm going to open our time up uh, with praying for, for Miss Lucy and I invite you guys to, to join me. Lord, we are just forever grateful that uh, each of our lives on whatever varying levels um, have gotten to encounter the joy and energy that is Lucy. Thank you so much for uh, the fact that she's made in your image, that you love her deeply. Um, we thank you so much uh, for the fact that uh, she reminds each and every one of us uh, of your tangible presence in our lives. And so uh, we pray that uh, through the scans, through uh, consults with the doctors, Lord, that Skylar and Lindsay and Lucy and Wyatt will be able to get some tangible answers um, that they'll be able to find some preventative ways uh, if this wasn't just a fluke, that they'll be able to uh, prevent future incidents. Um, and, and Lord, we pray, um, we know that you're the great physician, 
We know that you are all-powerful, that you're capable of healing. So we just ask without regard that you'll just protect her, that you'll uh, work in her uh, blood, brain chemistry, all the stuff that goes into what happened, Lord, that you'll just sustain her by your mighty hand. We trust you for this. So whatever the path looks like moving forward, help us be a body of believers. I mean, we just heard from Lindsay a few weeks ago about uh, uh, about this uh, this church carrying her through some of her health journey. Um, and, and so we pray that you'll once again equip and empower us to do that as we walk with them uh, through what's going on in Lucy's life. So we, we surrender her to you. We trust that you're good, that your intentions for her are good. And we just ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I now uh, have a real good way to set this up. So I'll just kind of set the stage, give some book recommendations, and then we'll hop into it. So uh, for the next few uh, months, we're going to be journeying uh, through the Sermon on the Mount together, specifically found in the book of Matthew. So if you get a chance, we'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and this is uh, the largest uninterrupted section of Scripture that we get that's like Jesus is teaching. And um, we, uh, it, it, because of that, it is one of the clearest and most explicit uh, teachings of Jesus. And I think as we approach the Sermon on the Mount, what I want to set Uh, our hearts and uh, direction towards is Jesus in John chapter 14 is talking to his disciples and kind of sets the precedent. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. And so it is impossible for us as Jesus followers to separate our love for God and our obedience to God. It is impossible for us to separate our love for God and our obedience (coughs) uh, to God. And so if we ought to take seriously our obedience to God, then we probably ought to uh, take really seriously the teaching of Jesus. Um, In fact, I've got a couple book recommendations, and I'll just give them to you now, uh, that have kind of helped as I've prepped. Uh, Typically, when we approach a a passage of Scripture like this, um, I'm going through several books just to kind of hear the thought process. And one of them, uh, Sky Jathani, uh, the book's called What If Jesus Was Serious?, and it's just walking, not quite line item by line item, but thought by thought through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the, whole, the whole premise is like, what if Jesus was serious uh, that, like, about what he taught in here? And what, what our lives look like? And that's the basic premise that we are uh, running after here. That, that God takes seriously the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is God. And that then we ought to take them seriously as well, too. And so... Here's what that means. As I've encountered this already, uh, there's going to be some really hard conversations that we're going to have in the coming weeks. Um, ones where we go, because here's, here's what we've done. Here's what we've done. We have uh, read this. I open it up, I look at chapter 6, I see giving to the needy. We read that and we go, that's a wonderful principle that he's talking about here. It's a, it's a wonderful principle that, yeah, we should probably give to the needy, but um, we're, we're, 
how much do we then take that beyond the, that's a wonderful principle, and allow it to be lived out in our everyday lives? Once again, what Jesus says is, if you love me, obey my commands. So <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to do our best to take this seriously. There's some hard stuff in here that we're going to encounter, um, but I'm just praying that <clears throat> when we... Excuse me. When we get to the end of this, um, we're going to be able to look back and go very similar to the testimony at the beginning. If you knew me then, see me now, you would you would not believe uh, what what took place. So, uh, a couple of recommendations, um, and I, I tried to pick the the couple that were most accessible because um, nobody wants to sit down. I mean, if you want to sit down and dig through some commentaries, then I can, I'm can. i happy to pass on those recommendations. But uh, what if Jesus was serious, uh, Sky Dathani? Again, th- and these are short little snippets, like this This chapter is this, okay? It's these two pages. <coughs> Super good. And then uh, this was a, a gem for me. Sinclair Ferguson, this was written in the 80s. Um, he's a, is it Scottish or Irish? I think Scottish, uh, pastor, he hangs out, hangs out, hung out, I don't know if he's still living, with, uh, with like uh, R.C. Sproul and people out at uh, Ligonier Ministries, and this was honestly one of the, a lot of times you think of like Ligonier Ministry, R.C. Sproul, it's a lot of really heady stuff, this is one of the most accessible, uh, like, again, let's take this boots on the ground, live it out, um, and uh, I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, so, Sermon on the Mount, let's dig in together. Uh, and the question I want to open our time with, because it sets up, we have to discuss this before we can discuss the actual content of Jesus' teaching, and that is the question of what did Jesus come on earth to do? What did Jesus come on earth to do? And there's probably about a million ways we could answer this question. And I, I think there's probably just as many ways that you wouldn't be entirely wrong. Like There's probably a, a lot of good answers to that. Um, and one of the things, that as you work down through each of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Um, we see a principle talked about over and over again that uh, really sets the stage for, for our conversations for the next several months. And that's the reality of the kingdom of God. Okay? Um, Jesus and many of those around him make a lot of claims, many claims, about this kingdom and what it was and where it was and how it operated. And if you just flip one, one chapter prior in uh, Matthew 4.17, Jesus, as he's going around, he comes out of the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. And he says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what is he preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the action is repent, turn, turn towards God. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Again, there's a lot of things that he could have preached in this context. There's a lot of things he could have talked about. Um, but, but instead, he decides to talk about repentance because the kingdom of heaven is near, and I think all the things that we could talk about, forgiveness of sins, uh, the majesty of the cross that's coming, the hope of the resurrection, all of these are wrapped up in the reality of God's kingdom being near. They're wrapped up in the rule and reign of Jesus. And Jesus, time and time again, uses this language of kingdom 
to, to kind of set the framework for his ministry and his rule and reign. One of the things uh, I thought about when preparing for this is that why, like, why does he use this imagery of kingdom time and time again? Well, if you think about it, a kingdom kind of has three things that are the essence of that kingdom. Um, and here's what they are. A kingdom has a ruler, a kingdom has a territory, and a kingdom has a citizenship. Okay? A ruler, a territory, and a citizenship. Uh, the ruler is, again, sovereignly ruling over the entire territory of the kingdom. And uh, they're giving, they've got power, they're giving direction, saying this is the thing that the kingdom is going to be about. We're going to run after these things. Sometimes we see it lived out, and those things are really benevolent and really good as we see kings, queens, those sort of things being lived out in our world today. And then sometimes they're not so benevolent and they're not so good. And they're lived out for uh, not such great things. So it's got a ruler. And then kingdoms have uh, a territory. Saying this is the, the plot of space that this kingdom is sovereign over. And then it has a citizenship. A people either willingly or not so willingly, who are submitted to that rule and reign inside of that territory. And here's why Jesus, I think, uses the, the kingdom language, because uh, the kingdom of God has a ruler, it has a territory, and it has a citizenship. Let's talk about it. The kingdom has a ruler, and, and this ruler is our King Jesus. Jesus is sovereignly sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all creation. What does Psalm 24 say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein of it. Uh, the earth is the Lord in the entirety of it. Jesus rules and reigns over every bit of creation. I can't think of who the quote's from right now, but there's someone that says, there is not a square inch of creation that Jesus does not look out over and claim mine. It's all his. It's got a ruler, Jesus. The kingdom of God has a territory. It is where? All of creation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who lived in it. Everything belongs to God. That means everything we see and everything we don't see. That means the outward parts of our lives and the inward parts of our lives. It all belongs to God. So the kingdom of God has a ruler, it's Jesus. The kingdom of God has a territory and it is every ounce, every square inch of creation. And the ruler has a citizenship, and, or the kingdom has a citizenship. What's the citizenship of the kingdom of God? It's the church. It's you and I. It's those who have said, we are, we're coming under the rule of Jesus in our lives. Like I said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. Why? It's God's because he founded it upon the seas, he established it on the waters. Jump down to verse 7 in Psalm 24, it says, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may, be, may come in. Who is this King of glory? Who is he, the King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. And so once again, by using the language of kingdom, uh, Jesus is staking his claim on all of creation, including the people listening uh, back then and including the people under the sound of my voice right now. He's, Jesus is saying they 
are mine. And in claiming, in Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is near, what he's claiming is that we're uh, returning back to the created intent. That we were created to like dwell with God and be under his, his good and kind and merciful and gracious rulership in the garden. But sin came in, came in and, and mucks up the whole operation. And so we're separated uh, from God's presence and uh, things begin to go awry. Sin, death enters the world. But uh, by claiming the kingdom, he's saying we're moving back to the garden. We're moving back towards like, where you're dwelling with me and where I'm there and you enjoy me and it's sweet and it's good and his aim ultimately was that his kingdom would be established in every heart and every life of every person who's ever lived and that's where we enter into uh, one of Jesus's greatest sermons ever preached <coughs> Sermon on the Mount He's been gaining recognition, came onto the scene in, in relative obscurity, born in Bethlehem, raised, discipled, taught about Yahweh. And he's been gaining this recognition as he goes around and he, he goes about the process of establishing God's kingdom. Uh, and he, does, he gains this recognition because of his tender mercy, his ability to heal miraculously, bringing what was dead back to life, bringing what's broken back into the created order. And as he goes, a crowd begins to follow him everywhere he goes. People begin to notice that there is something different about this itinerant preacher walking around the countryside, teaching, healing, doing all this sort of stuff. <clears throat> so this crowd is building. Here's what Kent Hughes says as he sets it up, and this will set up our text for today, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. As we begin our study, we must envision the snowballing interest in Jesus' ministry leading up to this event. He's been traveling around the Galilee, around Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and people are coming to him by droves for healing. And news has spread all the way to Syria, and in every kind of case imaginable is coming to him. Great multitudes were following him, and they clear out to the wilderness beyond the Jordan. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, tells us, See the crowds, he went up to the mountain. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. As they're sitting there, as this crowd's gathered around to him, Jesus, is open, Jesus opens his mouth and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed who are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. 
Now, upon first reading, you talk about the kingdom being established and you talk about God's rule and reign, and then it's immediately met with a fairly unspectacular list of guidelines. The people described here are not exactly what you would think of as power players in society. See, as Jesus is entering onto the scene, there was a few groups who had been patiently waiting on a Messiah, patiently waiting on a deliverer, a kingdom bringer, if you will. Uh, But uh, for all accounts, it certainly did not look like what Jesus just described. See, there were some people who were waiting on a Messiah, promised deliverer, to deliver God's people, and they thought it was going to come through the Jewish religious system. That the Messiah, this person would be like a a really great teacher of the law and able to instruct and make people obey just out of like sheer force and and like really incredible teaching. There are some people that assumed that this Messiah, this kingdom bringer, was going to come through the political system. And and surely uh, being a king meant you would rule and reign in the confines and constructs of the powers that be. Then there were others that assumed that this Messiah, this kingdom bringer, was going to rise up through the ranks of the military. And surely being a king, uh, you you would conquer and establish this kingdom by force, overthrowing the oppressive Roman regime. But Jesus minces no words here. He's not confusing about what this kingdom is going to look like. From the beginning of his sermon, he sets the tone for what his kingdom is going to look like. What the citizenship of this kingdom looks like. And in doing so, turns every opposition on its head. Because here's the reality of, of us in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom... It's actually weakness and surrender that equals power. It's here that Jesus gives us the standard of citizenship in his kingdom. Not not some like idealized emptying of self, but instead, uh, uh, here's the reality of the people that I'm calling blessed in my kingdom. It's not the powerful, it's not the already righteous. It's not the joyful. It's not the people who who take things and just push them into submission. It's not those who have everything together. But he says, these are the people that I'm saying are welcome in my kingdom. Uh, The people who are wearied, who are burnt out, who are exhausted, who are abused and taken advantage of. And Jesus is looking them in the eye and saying, I see you and you belong in my kingdom. It doesn't matter how the world sees you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have everything together. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you know all of the right answers. It doesn't matter if you never have a hard day and you never struggle. Jesus is saying, I see you and you belong in my kingdom. And he sets this out at the beginning because it sets the framework for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He's establishing the group identity right from the beginning. 
That people who feel like they've been trampled over by life, people who are hurting and suffering, people who are generous and receive nothing in return, people who feel persecuted, lied about, all these things, these are the marks of the people who belong in God's kingdom. It's not power and authority like we might assume. It's meekness and humility. Have you ever guys ever watched the show? Uh, I don't even know if it's on anymore. I haven't watched it in a long time. Criminal Minds. Have you ever seen Criminal Minds? Is Katrina the only person? That, Dina, 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 and Katrina, and Andrew, Stacy. Okay, oh yeah, just coming along. Uh, <coughs> Criminal Minds. I haven't watched it in a long time. I used to watch it with my dad when I was growing up, and the whole premise was like, giddy, like think every crime show, CSI, Law and Order, all all the stuff. Uh, the whole premise was. Uh, they'd see these like horrendous crimes take place and then this group of specially trained whatever would try and get into the heads of the criminal and there would be a, like, you'd see the crime take place, the local police would be trying to figure it out and then the special unit would come in um, and there's a point in every episode where there's like the local police standing around <coughs> and they go, here is the... Uh, does anyone remember the word that they're looking for? Here's the profile of what we're looking for. And they begin to outlay this profile. And usually it's super detail-oriented of like, we're looking for a 46 to 47-year-old male who uh, grew up playing mini golf every weekend and uh, probably has an affinity for chicken tenders and doesn't like the way that cotton feels. And it's like super specific stuff. And they know this because they've gotten in the heads of so many criminals that they're able to like, given all the stuff that we see, this, this is what we then expect. And I think Jesus is doing something similar here. Okay? He's saying, this is the standard for citizenship in my kingdom. And given the fact of who Jesus is, uh, here's what we are to expect uh, for citizens in God's kingdom. These are the marks of a disciple of Jesus. These are the marks of someone who has surrendered their life to follow after God. So as my boys grow up, um, we have to have conversations often about identifying ourselves as chapels. Here's what I mean by that. We have to have conversations of, uh, hey, listen, chapels don't do things halfway. Okay? Chapels don't use words like that. Those are not kind words. Chapels don't choose to spend our money in that way. Chapels choose to help others. Maybe you guys have similar conversations that you guys say in your home, but what we're trying to do is establish the group identity for this is what it looks like to be in our family, and that's what Jesus is doing here. This is what it looks like for us to be in God's family. This is what it looks like for us to be in God's kingdom. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Jesus assumes that his people will show these hallmarks. But because they're so contrary to our natural disposition, he wants to stress that this, is, this really is the way to blessing. It's not the rich, it's not the happy, the forceful, the merciless, the, who are truly blessed. It's the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they see their lack of it. These alone know God's blessing, and as a result, his many beatitudes. 
one of the translations that uh, we could see for blessed, because what does that mean in our society, it is like fortunate or approved. And Jesus is saying, like, think of the, the rubber stamp of approval. Jesus is giving the rubber stamp of approval on the people that bear these characteristics because he's going, these are the people that belong in my kingdom. It's not the people who are trying to, like, bull one another over and push people out of the way and set their own agenda and be, be for their own desires. No, it's instead the people who are seeking to make peace between one another. It's not the merciless who are just ruthless and, and go and get at all costs, but instead it's those who are merciful. Uh, like Sinclair Ferguson said, it's not those who have it all together. It's those who realize they don't and they desperately, desperately need righteousness and they hunger and thirst for it like their next breath depends on it. Those are the people that belong in God's kingdom. So once again, who are the people that are Jesus approved? Who are the people that Jesus identifies as walking out the kingdom lifestyle? It's the poor in spirit. It's the mourning, realizing that the world is not as it should be. It's the meek. The people who, who are not wanting to be front and center all the time going like, hey, everybody look at me. I'm incredible. I got something really, really incredible going on. Everyone pay attention to me. It's those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like I just said, who, who believe that they need it more than anything, that they need God's righteousness in their lives. It's those who are showing mercy, undeserving, relenting. Those who are showing mercy. It's those who are pure in heart and are seeking after God in this way. It's the peacemakers. We talked about this for the last couple weeks in body life. Those who are, who are looking to make uh, people live at peace and those who are helping bridge gaps and those who are understanding that unity is of utmost importance to God. It's the persecuted, those who are being ridiculed and mocked because of their willingness to follow Jesus. And here's what I thought about as I thought about uh, setting up the stage for the rest of our time together. As Jesus people, you and I, as kingdom people, we ought to bear the marks that Jesus is describing. This is not just for other people. This is for us. This is not just for, uh, okay, when I come into the faith, when I choose to say yes to following Jesus and I receive salvation, uh, it, it's, not just, uh, it's not just for then, it's for the life of following Jesus over the long haul. And here's the beauty. These aren't just like random things. These are things that can and should be cultivated inside of us. We get to take an active role in letting the Holy Spirit come into our lives and fill us up and do these things in us. Like hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We get to choose how much we hunger and thirst for righteousness. You become what you behold. We become what we behold. Meaning when we're pursuing godliness, when we're pursuing righteousness, that's us hunger and thirsting. So we ought to resemble, when people come into this space 
what they ought to see is not people who are, who are beating their chest going, I've really got it all together. I've really, like, I've got a handle on things. But no, Jesus is saying the more broken you are, the more untogether you are, the more undone you are, that's when you know you belong in my kingdom. And that's when Jesus is able to enter in and really, really do something with our lives. So we ought to resemble the things that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. We are approved by Jesus when we maintain this as our character. But not only that, here's the other thing I thought about. In this space, and I both mean this physical space of the sanctuary in this church, but I also mean in the space of us as Jesus followers, we have to ensure that we have created space for people to be undone. This, is, this list in the Beatitudes is not a who's who of movers and shakers in the culture. This is not, this is not an exhaustive list of you, you've really accomplished it when you've done this. No, instead, if you think about the people who were probably, they had nothing else going on. They were following Jesus from town to town. They had just been healed from these diseases, these sicknesses, these ailments. They, then they're going, I guess I'm going to follow him around now. You think about that crowd that's listening to Jesus out in the Galilean wilderness, it's not a who's who of culture at that time. Farmers, peasants, people whose lives were undone. And Jesus is looking around at every one of them saying, because of that, because you're undone, you said, I just, I've got nothing else. I'm going to follow and trust in you, Jesus. Jesus is saying, you belong here. You belong here. You belong in my kingdom. You, you belong in this family. I am a, you are approved when you resemble these things. And so if Jesus is saying that, brothers and sisters, we ought to be saying that as well. We ought to be saying that you, you, you just don't have to clean up the act before you show up in this space. Come in as undone as you are. Come in with nothing to offer because you don't have to offer anything. God's already said you belong. And as we do these things, as we embody God, God's kingdom and these realities, and as we make space for people that embody God's kingdom and these realities, we get to take an active role in establishing God's kingdom. We get to take an active role in ensuring that God's kingdom comes down to earth. And we're going to see in, um, here in, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we get to take an active role in seeing that that we live out God's kingdom on earth in our everyday lives as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite Jeff to come close us out, and I'm going to read over <coughs> the Beatitudes one more time. This is what Jesus said about his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, brothers and sisters, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this reality. Thank you so much that it's not uh, our completeness or our doneness that gains us entrance into your covenant family, into your uh, priestly community, into your kingdom, but it is by mere fact of our undoneness that you welcome us in gladly. So we love you deeply. We're just so grateful. The only thing we can do is respond in praise. Lord, stir our affections towards this end. Uh, Make space inside of us, uh, either by our willingness or the just sheer force of your spirit to carve out space in our faith family. Uh, Gathers under the banner of connection to carve out space for others who are undone. Realizing that regardless of what we bring to the table, we are wholly and completely uh, incomplete apart from you. So we respond joyfully because of your work, because of your teaching. Lord, allow us and empower us to live lives that honor you by how we obey your word. I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close out uh, with a song of undoneness a little bit together.